Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny will be interviewing Dr. Raymond Moody and Lisa Smart. You might know Dr. Moody as he coined the term near-death experience in 1975 with his book, Life After Life. Lisa Smart is the author of Words at the Threshold, and together they have created the University of Heaven. And we'll find out what that's all about with this incredible educational platform offering courses and resources about near-death, shared death, and after-death experiences. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And welcome, everyone. Happy Friday. I'm your host, attorney turned life coach, Sunny Joy McMillan, and we're welcoming you to Sunny in Seattle. We're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW, bringing you amazing coaches, teachers, authors, and healers, pretty much anybody who's on a mission to encourage you, to inspire you, and give you tools to live a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch us live, always access those show archives at 1150kknw.com. And I'm also on Facebook. I've been doing this fun uh, Facebook Live 30-day challenge. I challenged myself to do it uh, so that I could get a little bit more comfortable on social media. Um, So I invite you guys to come along for that ride. You can find me there by my name, Sunny Joy McMillan. We also have a page for the show, which is Sunny in Seattle Radio on Facebook. Um, And there you will find links um, and notices about our upcoming guests so you can keep up with what's going on in the show. Um, Let's see. And my website is goldenoversoul.com. If you want to reach out and find out more about my coaching practice or connect with me in any way, um, that's goldenoversoul.com. So I have two very special guests today. Um, And you guys have probably heard Lisa Smart was on my show. Um, Goodness, been probably about a year or so, maybe even a little more. Um, but then also our second guest is Dr. Raymond Moody, who many of you, I am sure, have multiple of his books on your shelf. Of course, he's most well known, I think, for uh, coining the term near-death experience in his seminal work, Life After Life. That was in 1975. That book is just as relevant today as it was when it was first published. Um, Yeah, so I'll just give you a little bit of the formal bio, and then we will bring these two amazing guests on the show so you can learn more about this uh, incredible new project, uh, the University of Heaven, an online platform that they have launched. Um, So Dr. Raymond Moody, he's a Ph.D. and an M.D. You don't see that very often. He is the best-selling author of 12 books, including Life After Life, where he coined the term near-death experience. Glimpses of Eternity and Reunions uh, also are two of his other books. Um, um, His books have sold millions of copies worldwide at this point. He has also authored numerous academic and professional articles on near-death experiences and the relationship of language to consciousness. And you might have seen Dr. Moody on um, any of his hundreds of local or nationally syndicated programs that he's appeared on, such as MSNBC's Grief Recovery, NBC Today, ABC's Turning Point, Oprah, Coast to Coast, all of the good ones. Um, and so Lisa Smart, she is a linguist, an educator, and author of Words at the Threshold, which is the book um, we discussed on the show when she was on a little while ago. Um, That book is based on data collected through the Final Words Project, an ongoing study devoted to gathering and interpreting the uh, mysterious language at the end of life. 
Um, and that Final Words project was co-founded with Dr. Moody in 2014. Lisa has co-facilitated presentations with Dr. Moody about language and consciousness at universities, hospices, and conferences. So together, as I mentioned, they have created the University of Heaven. So this is an online educational platform, and they're offering courses and resources about near-death, shared death, and after-death experiences. Um, And the University of Heaven features Moody's half-century of research and that of his protégés and colleagues who have shared his interest in the remarkable accounts of dying and the near-dead. So if you want to find out more, if you're near your computer or you're listening to this later, just visit theuniversityofheaven.com. That's theuniversityofheaven.com. And if you want to reach out to them, uh, the email address is very easy, theuniversityofheaven at gmail.com. So it looks like this is the fun of live radio. We've got uh, Lisa here, (laughs) and we're still trying to reach Dr. Moody. Lisa, welcome to the show. Our team of uh, crack producers are working on diligently. (laughs) By that we mean uh, just me. I'm doing the best that I can. (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) Well, Lisa, we're happy to have you, and we'll keep trying to get Dr. Moody. (laughs) I'm really glad to be here. And, um, you know, Raymond's so busy, and sometimes he jokes that he has his head in the stars, you know, when he was young, that was partly what brought him to his interest in astronomy and later on to near-death experiences. He told me just a couple weeks ago about how when he was a kid and he was sitting in his classes and he was seven, eight years old, he would be venturing in his mind to Mars. (laughs) And and I think that's part of uh, kind of the expansive mindset um, of of him, but sometimes the details fall through the cracks. Yes, well, we totally understand that, and I always just assume everything works out exactly as it's supposed to, so we're exactly where we need to be with you, Lisa. Great, well, it's great to be here. (laughs) Well, I'm glad to have you back. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm glad also to speak about a lot of Raymond's work, because I've worked so closely with him now over the last six years that I've got to really know his work well, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm also happy to address questions that I that I might be able to answer today. Oh, no, that's awesome, um, it, that, because I do have quite a few questions for both of you, um, and so some of them um, I would love to be able to ask you as well. Um, so just out of, I forgot to ask you this before we hopped on air. <laughs> so sure. on the, um, you guys, uh, is it right that you guys want to give away five copies of either Words at the Threshold, your book, or Glimpses of Eternity, which is Dr. Moody's book? Absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so Absolutely. for those out there listening, you know, sometimes we'll do uh, a giveaway where, um, you know, we'll give away one copy, but they have offered generously five copies. So I'll announce this at numerous times during the show. If you are listening and you want to get a copy of either Lisa's book, Words at the Threshold, or Dr. Moody's book, Glimpses of Eternity, just email them at theuniversityofheaven at gmail.com, theuniversityofheaven at gmail.com. And I guess will just the first five emails that you get from folks, you'll get those books to them? Yeah, that seems like the fairest way to do it. Okay, (laughs) perfect. So we've started announcing, so start emailing now to grab your Makes my life a little easier, too. Thanks, Lisa. Yeah, you guys are so generous. Thank you so much. And I think both Raymond and I feel a generosity of spirit around this work because for both of us, we came in as as rationalists, and Raymond especially, you know, he was an MD and had a PhD in philosophy, and this work itself kind of expands the spirit, in, because, you know, especially both of us approached it more scientifically oriented, you know, in a scientific manner, 
and both of our lives as, you know, especially Raymond, five decades of this work, it um it it does. It it touches your spirit and changes the way uh you think about things. Yeah. So anyway, I'm glad we're we're delighted to do it. Well, thank you, and I really, I, we do appreciate that, because we love freebies, but five whole copies, that's <laughs> awesome. So, guys, the email is theuniversityofheaven at gmail.com um, to grab a copy of either of those books. So, Lisa, why don't we just start um, with a little bit of background, um, and, and then we can dive into some of the questions. If we're not able to reach Dr. Moody, I'll just um, pass some of those on to you. But, um, of course, your book, Words at the Threshold, um, we have talked about before on the show, and I would love if you would share with our listeners who maybe didn't hear that episode, what led you to writing that book and the experience you had with your dad? Um, so I was uh, basically a special ed teacher. I was running literacy programs. I had never thought that I would be working with Raymond Moody. I read his book when I was 17 and was interested and, and found it compelling, but you know, I was most certainly involved in other areas of endeavor and most things connected around linguistics and language because that was my training. Um, however, I received a phone call on my birthday in 2012 and um, my mother told me my father was very ill and within a three-week window he died very quickly related to cancer and um, complications related to cancer. Just mm-hmm. It was just a very quick um, death. So I sat at his bedside because I was close to him, I was nearby, and what I noticed is remarkable things started going on in his language, in, his, in the words that he said as he was dying. And first of all, the most noticeable thing is my father was a skeptic, PhD, very ra- also very rationally oriented, very skeptical. But through those three weeks, I started hearing him make references to angels in the room. And being trained as a linguist, it was just my natural impulse to write down everything I heard. Um, especially because it was so remarkable. And so first, you know, hearing my diehard uh, skeptical father start referring to angels, and then right before he died, he announced to me, the angels tell us three days, only three days left. Mm -hmm. And indeed, three days later, my father, who never believed in angels, (laughs) um, passed away very peacefully. And there were other things I noticed in his language, and that set me on this... uh, journey um, of incredible curiosity about what I had witnessed in those last three weeks with my father. Yeah, and then, so that was in 2012, so then the Final Words Project was created in 2014, is that correct? Right, absolutely. So how, tell us about that progression. So what happened is, um, I saw these things go on with my dad's language, and um, I went to school at UC Berkeley, had a great linguistics department, and my father happened to still be living in Berkeley. So after he passed away, I went right up to the linguistics department, and I figured I would find lots of material on people's last words, mm-hmm. because we know there's a lot of material about people's first words, right, right? language acquisition. <laughs> um, right, so I just thought, well, of course, and I went into this library, very specialized library with lots of journal articles and found almost nothing about people's final words. So then I thought, wow, how do I begin to unfold this mystery for myself as a linguist and, um, and also a grieving daughter? You know, I was really curious about what I had heard from my father. So um, synchronistically, uh, about a couple months after my dad died, um, 
a friend of ours mentioned that he was teaching with Raymond Moody in Alabama at a workshop there. And so I thought, what the heck? I'm going to go and, and, and check it out and see if Raymond Moody has any insight on what I witnessed. Uh-huh. Well, what I didn't know, and I've come to find out and, and really savor and love about him, is he is a language person. His Ph.D. was completely um, a study in unintelligibility, in nonsense. Mm-hmm. So when I started sharing with him some of the enigmatic and mysterious things I heard um, in my father's final weeks, he was so excited because he said, I've been looking for someone, a linguist, who might pursue um, study into final words because I've noticed over the decades that people's language seems to track some kind of shift of consciousness. That is a serendipity right there. (laughs) I know. It was amazing. I was like, oh, my. (laughs) And I made great, you know, I was living in California. I had a really good, secure job. Um, and But I just knew I had to do it. And I and so I moved to Georgia to work with um, Raymond Moody. And it's been, I, I think, the best decision of my life or among the best decisions. Oh, yeah. Just from everything that I know about your work and now everything that you guys are creating, it's just absolutely magical. And it's, mm-hmm. my gosh, I can't think of much that's more important than what you all are doing. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So tell us also, I'm I'm really fascinated by the dying process. And I feel like uh, as a culture, we really try to just brush it under the rug or it tends to be in very sterile settings these days. And I just, I love that you guys are really um, working on dying with dignity and how to uh, be with the person who is transitioning. And so I'm fascinated also by the signpost of dying, you know, the things that people begin to see in the room. And and as you have studied the words that they are speaking. So what are some of the common elements that came up in your work that that people may want to be looking for if they have a loved one that's transitioning? One is that people's language becomes very metaphoric. So, you know, typically if I said, uh, Sonny, could you pass me a glass of water? You know, there's no metaphor in that Mm -hmm. generally. I mean, that's pretty clear. you you know, it's literal. It makes sense to us. But what happens is um, during the dying process, and you see a huge shift. It's almost as if people are speaking in dream time. You know how dreams, we get these symbols, so an apple may not really be an apple, right? That mm-hmm. kind of thing. And so, um, so the first signpost is people start talking in metaphors, and those metaphors are often very connected to who they are as people. So, for example, someone... Um, one woman described her father who was dying, and he kept saying to her, ah, and he was a contractor, right? He was a contractor. Mm-hmm. So he started saying, ah, oh, my God, all these remodels. I'm seeing remodels after remodels. It's amazing, all <laughs> these kitchens waiting to be built. And she was like, what? <laughs> right? Or one dancer, Jeffrey Holder, um, when he was dying, um, his son described that he literally started um, – as he would as a dancer, he went one, two, three. Uh, two, you know, he went through uh-huh. one, two, three, two, three. I can't do it right. I'm doing, yeah. but you know, the dance yes. beats. And then when he took his very last beat, uh, breath, um, he says, yeah, it was arms, two, three, turn, two, three, swing, two, three, down, two, three. Uh. Right? So these metaphors and the way that he was talking about death and dying were associated with who, you know, who these people in their lifetime. So you see these signature metaphors emerge. Yes. And you start seeing metaphors of travel. 
start talking about trains that they're waiting for or buses that are coming. And a lot of times loved ones are like, no, there's no bus. You know, we're not going anywhere. But the person has a distinct feeling that they are going somewhere. And this is so prevalent. It really surprised me as I did the research because, you know, we'll hear the language of the dying and we just think it's this isolated, strange thing with dad or mom or sister or brother, right? But then when you start collecting data, you see these things that seem so unique are actually patterns. So one of the patterns, um, and this has been written about by other people as well, one of the patterns are, are people start making reference to some form of transportation or that they have to get their passport. Yeah. Um, so, you know, really tuning into those metaphors is really um, important. Um, people talk about going home. And a lot of times people think, no, we can't go home. We're in the hospital, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's just incredible. Uh, over 70% of the people in our study, and this has been corroborated, you know, shown in other research by um, uh, Christopher Kerr and other people, about 72% of people start having visitations about 48 hours before they go and sooner. Mm-hmm. So, one of the signs that many medical professionals told me a sign for them that someone is going to be passing on soon is they start having conversations with other people who've already passed on. Mm-hmm. And it's very real. I mean, and what's amazing is people are having these conversations, but then they can come back to the present moment. You know, so it's not, there's this feeling of being able to move back and forth, which is really remarkable when, you know, when you look at the transcripts this kind of so then we feel say oh it must be the meds the meds doing it to people well how are they able to move back and forth exactly pretty remarkable yeah and so it brings up the question you know this was actually one of my final questions for today but I'm just going to ask it since we're on that topic is for those out there who may have a loved one who is transitioning or will do so in the near future what can we do to best be with them um, what are the practices, the the reactions, the behaviors that will best support them in, in your and Dr. Moody's experience? Well, you know, when children come up to us, we know one, the best way to respond to children when they tell us, uh, you know, there's an invisible rabbit, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a rabbit on the other side of the room, <laughs> we know one of the best things we can do is acknowledge the child's reality, right? It builds, you know, it's, it, it's really important on so many levels to acknowledge a child's language and perception. And in the same way, when those of us, you know, those um, people who we love are dying, it's so important to acknowledge their experience of what's going on and validate it and just enter into their world. So if someone says, I need the passport to go, um, oh, Mom, come on, there's no passport. No, don't do that, right? Mm -hmm. You want to say, Mom, sure, I'll help you find the passport. Tell me more about where you're going. Mm -hmm. And so the more you can step that person's world, and we know in general, for good communication with anybody, you want to be in rapport, right? You want to step into that person's world as much as you can. So one of the things I would say is just, you know, really listen and step into their world. And what's amazing, and I've heard from so many people, is when you do that, there's this sacred quality. It's almost by doing so, you get almost a taste of another reality. And I think another thing that Raymond and I both feel strongly about, and for both of us, is something we came to believe. We didn't start this work this way. We've come to believe that this is such a sacred time. 
right? You know, yeah. generally it's often an over-medicated and medicalized and frightening time. It can be, but it's really a sacred time to hold the language and the experiences that go on as if it were, you know, sent to us by God or Creator or whatever, you know, however one thinks of, of it spiritually, mm-hmm. and to treat it with sanctity. And not, I mean, it's easy to be afraid, and it's easy to be sad, of course, but from both of our research, you know, we've just seen that so many sacred um, transpersonal things that happen at the bedside of people as they die. Not always. There are exceptions, but so often, very, very frequent. Yeah, and one of those experiences, well, I, before I go to one of what the experiences were, I just want to throw it out there again for the listeners. If you would like a free copy of either Lisa's book, Words at the Threshold, or Dr. Raymond's, Raymond Moody's book, Glimpses of Eternity, just shoot them an email at theuniversityofheaven at gmail.com. That's theuniversityofheaven at gmail.com. And the first five Sunny and Seattle listeners who do that will get those free copies. So um, you guys can be doing that while we're on the show. Um, so talking about mystical or sacred experiences that happen at the bedside one of those that Dr. Moody writes about, and just by the way, guys, a quick update. We've been still trying to reach Dr. Uh, Moody. <laughs> so, well, I hope so no worry. Well, I mean, I hope everything is okay with him. But from our end, you know, we're just going to keep our conversation going, Lisa, and Benny will keep trying as the show goes on, and we'll see what we get. Thank you, Benny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, he's just walking back in now from the auxiliary studio. Um yeah, so so one of those that uh, that Dr. Moody writes about, actually in the book that we're giving away today, Glimpses of Eternity, um, is the shared death experience, and that is something that I was not familiar with, and just till a short while ago. What tell us what's involved in that, Lisa? Well, we Raymond started hearing more and more, um, and this is for decades now. People having experiences, we know what the near-death experience was, or that was something that he discerned early on. But then he started hearing from people who were bedside with their loved ones that they seemed to actually at times be sharing um, those experiences with their loved one as they were dying. So, for example, people have described they would be in the room with their loved one and suddenly they themselves were out of their body. Mm. Or that uh, the when I think probably the most common is as someone's dying, people might see a light or mist or some something that you know is as if the spirit is ascending, which is one of the most common things people talk about with near death experiences is moving upward, right? They're moving out of their bodies. People even say that they feel the geometry of the room change. Mm. Um, one thing that happened to me personally, and I didn't know at the time what it was until I started working with Raymond is um, my father lived in Berkeley, California, and I lived in Napa. And at about 3.15 in the morning, I woke up, and um, I had this feeling like the room was filled with people, you know, just that feeling that there were presences in the room. So Mm -hmm. I woke up my husband. I thought, ooh, I wonder why I feel so many people. I wonder if maybe my husband, you know, I thought, ooh, that's a slip. (laughs) My my father, oh, Dr. Freud, what do you think of that one? No, but (laughs) anyway, my father was... um, you know, I thought, oh, my God, I wonder if my dad's dying now because it's just this fullness in the room. And he just said, I'll go back to sleep. So I went back to sleep, and the next day I went to go um, see my father. And I said to my mom, you know, how's dad doing? And she said, well, he's good, but it was really strange. At 3.15 in the morning, he woke up, 
and he said to me, what are all these people doing in this room? Tell them I have no time to talk with them. <laughs> and when that happened, I was stunned. And, of course, I had no theoretical framework to understand what had happened. So I just kind of shrugged it off as some bizarre thing, you know. Yeah. But, but through the research, um, it, we see that this is more common. Or people might have dreams. And their loved one will show up in the dream as the person's dying. And um, so, yeah, Glimpses of Eternity is great because, you know, Raymond documented so many cases of, of this happening. And there's a, someone in, um, in Santa Barbara, California named William Peters, and he has a project called the Shared Crossings Project. Mm-hmm. And he's working with families so that they can have these really remarkable experiences and, A, not be afraid of them. Yeah. but also have a theoretical understanding to help them move through it and, and often experience sort of going through the vortex in, in many really beautiful ways with, with their loved ones. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, and the other term that actually came up, because I know this is part of the, the uh, course offerings or the material that you guys will be bringing forth at the University of Heaven, are after-death experiences so does would that uh be you know reincarnation or tell us what what does that encompass well one of the things that happens there are many ways that our loved ones might communicate with us after they die yeah or that we may have experiences in our lives um synchronicities of all kinds so in the very common one that uh that we hear often is after the person dies strange things go on with electricity Right. Right. Um, one person, for example, we interviewed, She, uh, the person who passed away was in a band called Smoke. Mm-hmm. And all the um, you know, smoke detectors in her house went off that night. She had a couple of them, you know, and she couldn't turn it off, you know. So, But those kinds of things that we've even heard now of people who get texts from their loved ones, not not frequently, but a few cases that we're researching to make sure they're they're true. But you just you know, people will have light bulbs will suddenly burst. Um, and you all people have experiences with animals. You know, where they'll say, "Oh, my husband told me that when he died, he's going to come back as a bird or something." And then someone will have one gentleman described with his mother, this bird sat at his window right after she died, like two days, just sat, I mean, was just right out the window, like uh-huh. sitting there, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, for, for, for just, you know, it'd come back, but for, you know, almost an hour, I believe. And, um, so those kinds of after-death experiences where there's communication, I had no idea how prevalent. You know, I started out with the Final Words Project to look at final words, and what stunned me is how many people, and people who are grounded, you know, grounded, uh, quote, rational folks, right, having these experiences um, of their loved ones after they've passed on. And I've really come to feel that you know, we have so much more access than I had ever imagined when I started this research. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, and Raymond, um, you know, Raymond's passion is ancient Greece. He always felt this connection to that period of time. Uh-huh. And there are the Greek oracles where people would go and have these experiences through reflective surfaces like this hot oil, and they would look in it and they would bring up appar- you know, apparitions that way. Uh-huh. So Raymond created something called a psychomantion, where people go and they can have these really, I mean, it sounds so woo-woo, but people are having these experiences um, that are really based on some of the, 
techniques they used in ancient Greece. Right. So it's a very rich area. Where, where, how do you spell that term? It's um, P-S-Y-C-H-O-M-A-N-T-E-O-N. Oh. And um, we'll be doing we'll be doing a class from the University of Heaven about it probably next year. Oh, awesome! Yeah. That's a good plug. Okay, so you guys go to theuniversityofheaven.com to check this out and see the offerings that will be there. Um, so we are going to take our break, and I'm very excited right. to announce we do have Dr. Moody with us now. <laughs> so when we come back from the break, we will welcome him on. And don't forget, guys, about this generous generous giveaway. The first five people to email uh, theuniversityofheaven at gmail.com will get a free copy of either Words at the Threshold, which is Lisa Smart's book, and that's who we've been speaking with for the first half of our show, or the book Glimpses of Eternity by Dr. Raymond Moody, which is about the uh, shared death experiences we were just talking about. Um, so email them at theuniversityofheaven at gmail.com, and those first five listeners will get a free book. Um, so you've been listening to Sunny in Seattle. We will take our break and welcome Dr. Moody on when we return in just a few. Are you ready to get unstuck from a bad marriage and embrace your best life? If you're anything like me, you may have spent years creating a life that looks pretty good on paper. There's just one problem. Your marriage is unhappy and unfulfilling, but you're too scared to trade your comfortable life for a future full of unknowns. In my new book, Unhitched, I will give you the tools you need to make the right decisions about your marriage, as well as the confidence that your future can be better and brighter than you can even imagine. I share my own very personal story, and I will guide you through a clear process that will enable you to answer the question, should I stay or should I go? It's a process that will help you tune out fears and unwanted advice, and instead tune into your own intuition and inner wisdom, as well as exit a marriage gracefully and feel secure about your future. Get ready to trade confusion and stagnation for your best life. Unhitched, unlock your courage and clarity and unstick your bad marriage. Available for pre-order today on Amazon.com. Sunny in Seattle, radio that positively shines. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92 and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100 and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90 and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110 and I had a stroke and I'm 33 so I never see this coming if you've come off your treatment plan get back on it or talk with your doctor to create an exercise diet and medication plan that works for you go to loweryourhbp.org I had to tell everything's changed I had to tell brought to you by the American Heart Association American Medical Association and the Ad Council notice anything different you should there's no other station like alternative talk 1150 a.m. And welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy, and we now have with us, of course, we had wonderful Lisa Smart uh, for the first half of our show, but we are now joined by Dr. Raymond Moody. Dr. Moody, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, and I have been really looking forward to this, because we were saying in the break, um, I mean, I've been investigating these near-death experiences, I guess you could say since 1960. And I've talked with 
thousands and thousands of people and have followed all this research closely over the years. But I can honestly tell you, the work that Lisa is doing is, I think this is the most important uh, and advance in the study of near-death phenomena for in a real long time. I mean, I think that there's, there are so many implications of this. I, I also, I kind of think that the techniques that she's devised and the observations and so on, that this kind of, and along with some work I will say I've done, I, I have, uh, she and I work together on, on projects, and we are both very interested in what you could call the linguistics of transcendent experiences, like how people talk about them and what we can make of the odd language that people speak. And uh, so from my work and from her work, I, you know, I'm quite confident that uh, this is a new wrinkle that will allow us to sort of follow the mind, presuming, as I do, that there is a switch over into some other state of existence or a higher realm and the dying process, then this um, this should really allow us to track the mind as it goes into that state. Because everything else except that that I know, but everything else that I know about this implies that. So I I think that will happen. You know? Yeah, that's fascinating. Is it makes sense if 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 I believe your work is showing that consciousness is not local or does not originate in the mind. So if the mind is going off into other dimensions or other places, to be able to follow it through the language, that is just fascinating. Yeah, and you know, when people have some sort of really unusual experience, like a near-death experience or a mystical experience and so on, that doesn't fit into words that we have, Uh What they naturally do is they tend to talk words that to the rest of us sound like nonsense about it, right? And a good example of that is a neurological condition called synesthesia. And what it is basically is that there are people who want that the input from one of your senses, like hearing, will result in your mind in hearing, but also as a sort of accompaniment of it, some other sense, like color. People will say that when they hear music, they see patterns of color and so on. Yeah. Or or people who say that there was a famous chef who said that uh, he was a synesthetic. He tasted shapes, and <laughs> when he would taste the chicken, he said, this chicken tastes round to me. Well, to the rest of us, that's nonsense, see, but it's his attempt to describe a real inner experience. And that's the same thing that's going on with these people who are dying, you see. They are, I, my conjecture is, I, it seems that uh, from my, I mean, I don't know how many people I've been there with as they died. I mean, it was part of my work, as you know, for a long time, and, uh, I mean, this is just a very, very general phenomenon. Who anybody who is in this clinical side of this will know that in those last little period of life, people 
erupt into this really amazing language that is very enigmatic and that sort of, uh, it, some of the bystanders get upset, you know, they don't like, to, if, the, if people have control problems, for example, <laughs> um, they might well be uh, upset at grandma talking nonsense, whereas people of a little more laid-back consistency might um, rejoice uh, in the, the apparent uh, mystical meanings of it. So, yeah. you know, this it, it's important for us, I think, to learn to understand the language of the dying. And, um, and because, you know, of these thousands of people who told me about, you know, almost dying and leaving their bodies and going into a light and meeting their dead relatives and seeing their lives pass and review. Yeah. Um, it's the most common single thing people say, no matter where they're from or how educated they are or whatever. They say, I just don't have words. It is beyond our ability to put it into words. And um, so what the next step there for people who take this seriously is to really go down to see what is underneath these amazing stories that we all love hearing. And Lisa and I think that there must be a vast number of people out there who often in the midlife and older range, but we would love to have young people uh, involved in this too, who think that these big questions like life after death and so on and, uh, are, and the meaning of life are, are important and are therefore worth taking seriously. Yeah. You know, Sonny, I you know you got to admit, I mean, you're a person of common sense, too. I mean, we both got to admit that there is so much in this field that you and I are in, and yeah. Lisa, it, there is so much stuff that is just frankly silly <laughs> and pretentious and know-it-all kind of attitudes, all things that we can't really know, you know. So my point is that and I've loved teaching all my life, and Lisa has been a teacher. So what we have decided to do is to create a sort of Internet learning portal for the one of a better term. And uh, I, my name, boy, I came up with the name, which I sort of captured the essence in a way. We call it the, the University of Heaven, right? Well, the universityofheaven.com, and we... Uh, and that is a humorous title because, you know, it's, um, we are dealing here with very important and ultimately unknowable kind of questions. But what we're going to be doing is we're going to be conducting webinars with the various um, uh, people who have had very profound near-death experiences, who are really, really great people. And, and interesting people in themselves. Our first one is going to be with Dr. Eben Alexander, yes. the former Harvard, Harvard neurosurgeon who had just a phenomenal near-death experience when he almost died of a, a horrible um, uh, infection 
of his nervous system. Um, and uh, we're also going to have um, an, an amazing young man to me, oh, he's in his 50s, but to me he seems young, um, who is a uh, graphic artist who's had a just an amazing near-death experience when he had a car wreck in which he lost his leg and he, his wife died instantly in the crash along one, with one of his children, but he survived and had a near-death experience. And when he, to make a long story short, when he divulged his near-death experience to his trauma surgeon who saved his life, it turned out that the trauma surgeon um, acknowledged that he had had a conversation with the dead wife in the operating room. And, you know, this sounds phenomenal, Sonny, but, you know, there are so many of these now. We're also going to have an interview with Dr. Anthony Cicoria, who is an eminent professor of uh, orthopedic surgeon in MD as well as a PhD in physiology, who was struck by lightning in 1996 and had a cardiac arrest during which he had a profound near-death experience, mm-hmm. and this somehow awakened in him an interest in music. He kept hearing, having a recurrent dream, and he was playing a piano on a concert stage and playing the same music over and over. And so uh, he got, started taking music lessons and got a piano and is now, in addition to being an eminent professor of orthopedic surgeon. He's a very renowned um, concert pianist as well. And and we have a young composer who had a near-death experience, whose near-death experience inspired his music. So we're just really excited about these forthcoming activities. And we're just so happy that you would allow us to be on your program today to talk about it. Oh my gosh, it is such an honor to be able to talk to you both. So we're the ones who are very happy about this. Um, So for those of you out there listening, the website is theuniversityofheaven.com. And don't forget about the generous book giveaway. Um, If you would like a copy of Glimpses of Eternity by Dr. Raymond Moody, who we're speaking with today, or the book Words at the Threshold by Lisa Smart, our second guest here today, just email them at theuniversityofheaven at gmail.com. That's theuniversityofheaven at gmail.com. And the first five Sunny in Seattle listeners to send that email will get one of those free copies. So you guys are just so generous. So thank you so much for that as you're coming on to talk about your new endeavor. Oh, no, the thanks is all on our side. Thank you so much. And But, you know, you and I... Uh, and Lisa, we have a joint mission here. It's yeah. just, you know, it's like what we want to do is get real good information out to serious people who, about these very important things. So. Yes, and and so I'm just curious. You know, you said that you were. It's a the, the University of Heaven. The name was meaningful to you, and I'm just curious from both of you. Given all of the work that you've done and the research and the people you've spoken to, what does the term heaven mean to you now? Lisa? Wow, what a great question. Um, I think heaven to me is there is something. Uh, it's, I don't think it's a place 
I don't even know if it's a time, <laughs> but it's a way of experiencing life that is expanded or bigger than than what we know here. And, you know, the term nonsense means not sense, right? So it's what may sometimes seem nonsensical, but it's just not of this sensory reality. So yeah. to me, heaven is this expanded yeah. awareness, and I believe there's so much knowledge and love that's beyond what we know um, in our ordinary days here. So that's what do you th- I mean, what do you think, Raymond? I'm so curious. I love that, Lisa, by the way. That's awesome. Yeah, I do too. I, that's very similar to me. I just, I, I don't think in terms of place. I think that what people tell me of, of their near-death experiences is that concepts of space and time are not your orienting um, realities in, in the, after you die. That it's um, time and space are part of the framework that we're in, which sort of the, some of the great philosophers like Immanuel Kant had figured that one out. That, and and um, so I think it's a kind of multi-level experience. I, I from from the people who have had the most, I would say, profound near-death experiences, who typically the, were the ones whose cardiac arrest were so lengthy that you I mean it doesn't even make medical sense that they would have lived and. Their experiences tend to be much more complex, and um, they talk about different layers of it. Like one uh, layer that people sometimes report is that there seems to be one aspect of the afterlife which you could compare to an institution of higher learning. Mm. Um, Dr. George Ritchie, the first living person I heard this from, said, if you try to take in your mind math, uh, MIT and Caltech and the University of California and Yale and Harvard and Princeton and the University of Virginia and just roll them all up into one, you, you can't even begin to get an inkling of what this place <laughs> is like. And that it's like you see that people in there are just pursuing knowledge. And then there seems to the other realms which people try, they say the closest terminology you could have is that it's the city of light or like a civilization of sorts that is constructed of sheer light mm. and that it seems to be inhabited by beings, like I've heard them called beings of light or, or people who just seem to have, uh, I, you know, living in a sheer, vibrant dimension of love. I've never heard anybody who went in there. That's something they only sort of see from a distance. And then people talk about there does seem to be some sort of process. I've gotten this even from not a high percentage, but in total, you know, a respectable number of people over the years who've had near-death experiences who saw that that reincarnation was attached to it somehow. That you, that you, um, you go through some process and then you're back here for another span. And uh, yeah. I used to wonder when I first read about this as a philosophy student at the at the University of Virginia when I was 18 years old. I was so curious about it. Plato said the object is to step off the wheel of 
reincarnation. Mm-hmm. And I, it wasn't that I rejected that. I just wondered, what in the world are they talking about? <laughs> but finally, here I am on that, and I would, I get it, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. Is there, you know, I think there's a beyond this narrative existence we live, because mm-hmm. what is your life except your life story, right? Isn't it just a story? Because when you ask that, that's, your your consciousness is naturally narrative directed. Each thing that happens that adds on to your story. Yes. And so, since our life is our story, then I sort of finally get it. Not because of any colleagues that I had who studied reincarnation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a matter of fact. That's the reason not to accept. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> I know it now because I, I observed my two younger kids very closely all their lives, and so and they don't get they don't hear this stuff, and we don't go to religious things, and they we don't talk about life after death. But both of them have described their past lives, and they since we didn't follow up on it, you know, we didn't discourage it, we didn't ask questions, we just be neutral. So. That's had the odd result that they both hold on to. They both remember, oh, and awesome. uh, and so I can sort of see that that you you get into the narrative. You go through not just one life narrative, but a number of them. Yes, and uh, mm-hmm. so it's. I mean, and I'm not trying to convince anybody else of that. A matter of fact, the process that we're going to have at the University of Heaven is to be very critical. I mean, this not not critical in a harsh sense, but in the sense that we really want to bear down on this to what can we think on genuinely rational ground, not what somebody wants to believe or, right. you know, because the reverend says so or because, uh, you know, whatever, but you're committed to go to us through a serious process of let's figure this out. And what this is going to lead to, because there already are, there are entirely new breakthrough methods, rational methods, mm-hmm. to study this afterlife question. And this this is coming. It's, uh, I say that we're on a whole new era of um, studying the what happens when we die and Lisa's work is uh, is the frontier of it, and I think we, you know, we all need to do this. And so I'm hoping we get lots of people subscribing to you the know, University of Heaven. Our degrees last for a whole eternity. eternity. <laughs> eternity. Well, you know, one thing I wanted to say real quickly. I know um, time is getting tight here, but. We're seeing more and more medical professionals like Evan Alexander or um, this gentleman, Jeff Rodriguez, Dr. O'Driscoll. Um, we're seeing so many physicians now kind of beginning to speak up about their experiences. And it's a very exciting time to be part of this because um, we're seeing a real integration of science and spirituality, I think. Yeah. And it's exciting to hear, hear the kinds of stories we're hearing now. Yes. Very exciting time to be involved in this. Yeah, my this is my happy place is that meld of science and spirituality and just seeing what is going on right now is blowing my mind and it's awesome. Um, so the website is theuniversityofheaven.com. 
Um, and so folks can just go there and sign up um, to, to join, or is there anything in particular they need to do, Lisa or Dr. Moody? Well, you know, we're having a free webinar October 30th mm-hmm. called I'm Convinced, where Raymond's going to go sort of um, why he is convinced now. And that's only happened since I've known him. Uh-huh. Only, almost four <laughs> years ago, Raymond turned to me and said, you know what, I think I'm convinced now. But um, Yeah, I give up. You've reached a process <laughs> where, you know, I just give up when the doctor starts telling me that, yeah, he participated in the patient near-death experience, too. <laughs> no, it's true, though. I bet exactly. So anyway, so we have a free webinar that people, that, that might be the way people might want to connect and see if it's something they want to be involved in. That's just on the University of Heaven homepage. They can sign up for that. Wonderful. And, you know, gosh, I'm so sad I didn't get to this question, Dr. Moody, but I understand you have an upcoming book uh, called God is Bigger Than the Bible. And I, God, we have less than a minute left. (laughs) Oh, well, could we possibly have another program then? Because I would love to talk about it. I would love that. I was hoping you would say that. (laughs) Great. Oh, my God. Listen, listen, you don't have to hope. You you can always just ask yourself the question and the answer is yes. Oh, wonderful. (laughs) I'm going to hold you to it, Dr. Moody. Oh, yeah, no. But, yeah, that's this really, God is bigger than the Bible. (laughs) God really is, and it's so obvious. (laughs) But when you tell it to a Bible believer, it really kind of sets them back a step or two. Yeah, yeah, growing up in Texas, I know that very well. (laughs) Well, uh, we are at the end of our hour. Uh, It has been such an honor to speak with you, Dr. Raymond Moody. Oh, it was great talking with (laughs) you, and looking forward to the next. Me too. And thank you, Lisa Smart, for coming back on Sunny in Seattle. God is bigger than the Bible is going to be one of the courses on our University of Heaven. Ooh, how exciting. (laughs) I cannot wait. Okay, so for those of you out there who can't wait to check it out, go to theuniversityofheaven.com. Do not forget to email them at theuniversityofheaven at gmail.com to get your free copy of either Words at the Threshold or Glimpses of Eternity. The first five listeners who do that will get that book. Thank you all so much for joining us. It's been such a pleasure, and I will see you next week. Sunny Joy signing off.